welcome to episode 39 of the Two Quarterback Experience. This is the post-draft experience, the slightly hungover experience for me. Um, happy to be on the airwaves, the recorded airwaves that is. Uh, we've brought back Anthony Amico at Amixta on Twitter uh, to talk about the draft and kind of update on our last episode where we, we talked about, you know, the evaluations of certain rookies heading into the draft. Uh, Anthony does work at 2QB's Rotoviz number fire fantasy insiders. Anthony, welcome back. Thanks for joining me again. Hey, thanks for having me, Greg. I appreciate coming back. I think last episode I made a, a quip about the coffee being hot and today it's Earl Grey. So before we get into the football stuff, are you a caffeine guy? Coffee, tea? Actually, I don't really drink that much caffeine. If, if I do, it's usually tea. I'm not really a coffee drinker. Yeah, it's probably better for you that way. Um, anyway, let's get into the draft. Uh, we started off with quarterbacks last last time. Let's do that again. That's uh, the most important difference between you know standard dynasty and two QB and superflex. You talked about how Pat Mahomes would have been your potential one hundred and one if he went to Houston, and Mahomes was the second quarterback drafted, but to Kansas City. How many games do you think he starts in two thousand seventeen? Uh, do you think he's going to usurp Alex Smith anytime soon? Uh, and then beyond that, maybe two thousand eighteen. Do you think he's the full time starter by then? Yeah, so I think it's possible that we don't see Mahomes until week 17 of this year. Uh, if the Chiefs play well, um, you know, we've seen it in the past. Andy Reid is very willing to rest starters down the stretch. Um, I, don't, I don't know if they'll necessarily like, just go to Mahomes as the guy in year one. I think they'll probably try to ride this year out with Alex Smith. Once this year's over, I think that Mahomes has a really good chance of entering 2018 as the full-time starter. Uh, the Chiefs can cut Alex Smith, actually, after this season. They'll eat a little over $3.5 million, but they'll save $17 million, uh, per over the cap. So it seems like kind of a no-brainer move. That's if Mahomes shows that he's ready, yeah. like Especially since they have, obviously, a really good defense. Like I think like the Seattle strategy that we saw where you know they got Russell Wilson and then they were able to pay all these defensive guys. I could kind of see a similar situation uh, playing out in Kansas City. So how do you like that landing spot in general? I mean, it seems pretty good. Like, I'm always a fan of Andy Reid quarterbacks, and those weapons there in Kansas City are, are solid, if not spectacular. But, yeah, that that seems like a good landing spot to me. What do you think? Oh, I love it. I mean, outside of the fact that we're not going to get the starts in year one, I think that's probably the only thing that keeps him from being, like, the clear top quarterback. But going forward, I mean, you, you hit it on the head. The Andy Reid quarterbacks are awesome. Since 2000, uh, the Andy Reid starting quarterback has had an average quarterback finish of 10.1. So really, really strong stuff. I mean, that includes four years of Alex Smith. He actually got a QB 13 season out of, out of Smith his first year with the Chiefs. So, uh, you know, really strong correlation there between Reid and, and production. And we think that Mahomes is obviously pretty talented. Yeah, man. Um, let's get back to that Houston landing spot. They took Deshaun Watson. How has your outlook changed on him and that Texans landing spot? I, I'm assuming that you're you're pretty you're, you've got to be higher on him. I know I am now that he's in uh, with the Texans. Yeah, he's my top quarterback now in two QB formats. I think it's pretty clear that he's going to get the most starts out of any rookie quarterback this year. I I don't I'd honestly be surprised if he wasn't just the starter right out of the gate. Uh, they traded up to get him. Houston has a really good team, obviously a strong defense. They have two good running backs. DeAndre Hopkins, Will Fuller. This is a team that's really looking to go now. Uh, so I feel like the moves that the, you know, the coaching staff and the GM made in the draft kind of signify, like, we need this guy to, you know, he's a winner at Clemson. Like, we need him to do the same thing for us and, and, and get us to the finish. Do you have any worries about, like, a lack of volume for him based upon the fact that they'll probably be a run-heavy team? He'll probably supplement some of that with rushing production, like maybe like four or five rush attempts a game. Yep. Similar to like a Tyrod Taylor, like the the pass volume won't be there, the passing touchdowns probably won't be there. But if, if Watson can just be efficient and have a decent running season, he'll probably be pretty productive. Yeah, that's right where I'm at too. I took him in the first round of our two QB uh, rookie mock that we're doing right now. And that was a lot of my justification was, you know what? He's going to be probably the full-time starter from week one. He can do stuff with his legs, which is does set him apart in some ways from other QBs in this class. And in general, I, if I have a running quarterback, I kind of want that guy early in his career because in general, that tends to go away over time. Uh, and they might be more willing to let him run because he's not going to you know, fully grasp the offense 
or the reads or the progressions, like all that stuff. So I think there's a lot of opportunity for him to at least maintain a solid floor of production with his legs. Uh, you know, the, the classic Konami code, uh, copyright Rich Rebar. So th- that is something I'm looking forward to, to checking out. So you have Watson ahead of Mahomes in your rankings, but are there other league or roster-based factors that you could imagine maybe making you want to take Mahomes first ahead of Watson in a rookie draft? Yeah, I think that, well, I think if it's a, if it's a one quarterback league and not a two quarterback league, that's a situation where I'm going to just favor the long-term upside, which I think favors Mahomes. Mm-hmm. And similarly, like if I am like pretty well stacked at quarterback, uh, I'll probably again, even in two quarterback formats, favor that, that long-term upside. Yep. That makes sense to me. So which landing spot do you think had the worst effect on a rookie quarterback's value? Uh, Trubisky to the Bears, I really didn't like. I mean, granted, he was a top, you know, a top five overall pick, which is generally a, a really good signal for quarterbacks. But Chicago just seems like an out-and-out mess. Uh, like they didn't even meet with Trubisky before the draft. They they had, didn't really have any communication with them. John Fox had like no clue that they were going to take him. Like this just sounds a lot like the Brock Osweiler situation last year with Houston, where it's like. They just decided that they wanted a quarterback, and then they made this like half thought out, split second decision where they traded assets and they and they brought him in. And I, I just don't really like situations like that. I mean, the weapons are decent; they're not really great, and the team is generally pretty run heavy. And, and Trubisky is like we just don't know that much about him. I mean, he he only right, started yeah. for one year, and he couldn't get ahead of Marquise Williams on the depth chart. Like I kind of think. Those things have to be in the back of your mind when you're drafting him. So, you know, combine that with the team situation. It's not really a fan. Yeah, I mean, just the way that the Bears operated to, to get him does not give me a whole lot of confidence in his fantasy situation because if they screwed up the draft as badly as they did to, to pick him up, they're probably going to screw a lot of other things up, you know, in season with other personnel moves. I just don't have a whole lot of faith in the, in the Bears organization at the moment. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, you have to consider Trubisky in your drafts like I I definitely am not as high on him as I am Watson or Mahomes or maybe even Kaiser but Trubisky is a guy I think you still have to consider because if he does you know start week one uh come right out of the gate you you might not get an elite quarterback you might not even get you know a good quarterback but if you get Jay Cutler if you get Blake Bortles if you get Alex Smith if you get that sort of production that does have value in two quarterback formats it's just what are you spending to get it, right? If you're spending a first-round rookie pick, that's not worth it. If you're spending a, a third-round rookie pick, uh, maybe it is. Now, in a 2QB format, I don't think he slides that far, just based upon the draft profile that you talked about. But, yeah, I think that there's there's something to be said about opportunity and, and the potential for volume there, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, if the starts are there, like I think there's just something to be said for the value of, of a quarterback start, like you were saying. So, I. Uh... Still has to be in consideration, but I have a feeling that there's going to be someone probably a little higher on him than me in my drafts. Yeah, me too. Um, so last episode we talked about you know veteran quarterbacks with something to lose based on the draft results. Did Alex Smith take the biggest hit? I mean, he's definitely a good candidate based off what we were talking about before, but uh, I still think that Smith, like even if he got cut, could find himself as a starter somewhere else in 2018. Like Sal yesterday posted this, like it was pretty funny, like. Posted him basically in like a Jaguars uniform. Like I, I could, I could get behind that happening. But I think like Smith is the kind of guy that at least has enough credibility where elsewhere he would start. The guy that took the biggest hit for me was Mike Glennon because he doesn't really have any history as a starter. He just signed a deal with Chicago, uh, kind of expecting to be that. Uh, and now it's possible that he doesn't start at all this year. Maybe only a handful of games now. So I would say Glennon probably takes the biggest hit. Yeah, Glennon, Tyrod, Tom Savage, those three were on my list after Alex Smith. I think you could make a case for any of those four guys. Um, Glennon's interesting to me, and just this Bears situation is interesting. Like, I kind of want them to just run a quarterback competition, like a, a legit competition, you know, where through practice and through the preseason, they figure out which one of these guys is best right now, and that's the guy who gets to start. I don't know if that's always the best, you know, psychological experience for young quarterbacks, uh, but at the same time, like, they have some weapons there. We've seen flashes from Mike Lennon. We know that Trubisky has some amount of, uh, you know, Trubisky has some amount of upside. So 
I, I don't know. Like, I, I want to see how that plays out. I think that Mike Lennon could still have some value, but I, I'm like you. I'm pretty wary at this point. I, again, the Chicago decision-making, not inspiring a whole lot of confidence. Um, one team that we suspected to draft a quarterback, the Cardinals, didn't take one at all. Does this make you trust Carson Palmer anymore heading into 2017 for redraft or for Dynasty? Not really. I mean, I, I think that even if they did take a rookie this year, he probably wouldn't have started in 2017. Like, that would have been a move more geared towards the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Palmer's 2015 season, where he was really good, uh, just seems to be a real outlier in his, you know, post-injury career. Uh, 9.1 adjusted yards per attempt in 2015, but he's been at 7.0 or lower. Uh, in every other season where he's played more than six games since 2007. So I think, Thanks. like, yeah, like, I think last year's Palmer is kind of just who he is. And, you know, he could hop back onto that, like, positive side of variance and have a really big year. Uh, I just don't think it's likely. Yeah, you don't, you can't really bank on that sort of stuff. So, um, which entrenched quarterbacks do you think gain the most value based upon who are the teams drafted? Not necessarily at the quarterback position, but, you know, all sorts of skill positions, offensive line, all that. Um, to me, Andy Dalton's the guy I keep seeing hyped up and I can't argue with that. Um, is he the guy for you or is there somebody else who you think is gaining a lot of steam coming out of the draft? Yeah. I mean, I wrote three guys down. Dalton for me is definitely the biggest one. Uh, you know, they drafted John Ross in the top 10. They added Joe Mixon to help their backfield situation. He's, uh, you know, I have doubts for him in terms of being like a workhorse runner, but he is a very well accomplished pass catcher. Uh, and they took Josh Malone later in the draft. Is a guy that I like, you know, could fill in and, and do some stuff for them deep down the field. So this is a team that is just loaded with weapons. You know, Dalton is going pretty late. Uh, you know, the last time I checked his QB ADP, it was outside the top 15. Uh, you know, this is someone that I think is a slam dunk QB1 in, in 2017. So I'm really, really high on Dalton right now. Um, the, the other two guys... Going back to, you know, a couple of draft classes ago, Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota, both their teams, uh, had pretty similar drafts. Uh, they all added basically, uh, you know, a quality wide receiver option, um, a quality tight end, and one other player. I mean, uh, Tampa went OJ Howard in the first round, uh, by many considered to be the, the top tight end prospect in an overall good tight end class. Uh, they added Chris Godwin out of Penn State, who I think is an excellent receiver prospect. He was someone that I had inside of my, like, top five, top six range pre-draft, uh, and Jeremy McNichols, who, again, pretty similar to Mixon. Like, we don't really know what he's going to be in terms of a runner, but the pass-catching work that he can do is pretty much, um, you know, uncontested. Like, he's very, very skilled in that area. Uh, Tennessee obviously drafted Corey Davis in the top five. Taewon Taylor, an excellent deep threat to complement that offense. And Janu Smith at tight end, who's, again, someone that I really like. So uh, the, those two younger guys have uh, a lot more... I think, um, in terms of like public favor, draft capital wise, already, I think they're already being drafted as QB ones. But yeah. those are guys that could ascend into like that top five, top six range this year. Yeah, it's a great point about you know where they're being drafted relative to a guy like Dalton. Winston worries me a little bit. Like I think I- I've been wanting him to kind of take that next step for fantasy production for two years, and I while I think you know the card the cards are stacked in his favor at this point. The community sees that, and the the fantasy hive mind sees that, and they're already kind of overvaluing or projecting him towards his ceiling. We are doing uh, mock drafts at 2QBs right now. If you want to sign up, just hit us up on Twitter. We'll get you a link. Um, but I, I'm in one of those right now, and Jameis got taken at the 2-3 turn, and I just thought to myself, that's friggin' insane. Like, no, I, <laughs> I can't get behind that. Like, if you are going to reach for a quarterback like you have to you can't just go all in on a guy who you've never seen do it before not that early in a draft so if if that sort of opinion on him or evaluation on him propagates you know through ADP then he's a guy I just won't own this year yeah I could definitely get behind that I mean I think uh something that I know you're into I'm into Josh Lake is into is, is like taking those QBs later maybe not uh dramatically late but you know, more towards being like the last guy to take his first quarterback. And, you know, it's pretty clear at this point that like Jameis and Mariota probably aren't going to be in that range. Um, but, but Dalton probably will be throughout, you know, throughout the offseason. Yeah. I mean, I like Mariota a little bit more than Jameis from a safety standpoint, which is weird because he hasn't 
played a full season yet. Um, but what he does with his legs helps. Uh, I think that just that team in general might be a little bit more conservative, which doesn't really give him a high ceiling necessarily. But I mean, that could come if he just takes another step. Uh, but in general, like he seems to be a safer week to week play to me. But um, I don't know. We'll see how it plays out. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to tracking these guys through 2017. Uh, let's get into um, the other positions: running back, wide receiver, tight end. You touched on OJ Howard going to the Bucks. I want to skip ahead to to him uh, with a tight end question here. How much do you think he's going to play and contribute in year one? I mean, we, we talked a lot last episode about how tight ends don't really do much earlier in their career, and that makes it hard to invest in them in rookie drafts. But I'm seeing him and David Njoku and Evan Ingram all being you know ranked and drafted in the first round and a half of picks. Are you on board with any of those three going that early? Yeah, like I, I'm just like we said last time. Like I, I am, I am someone that really wants production in year one because production in year one leads to production in year two. Like, I, like I need to, mm-hmm. I want to see something. Like I don't like, I don't like wasting a roster spot and just holding a guy waiting on potential because I think most of the time that potential never really comes. In like one quarterback formats, I, I'm taking uh, Njoku and Howard. In like that 15, 16 range, uh, you know, in two quarterback formats where like I'm looking to take guys like Mahomes, Trubisky, Kaiser, Watson, like I'm not looking at those guys until like the 19, 20 kind of range. And you're just not going to get them. Yeah, like there's just no way I'm going to get them there. So another thing we talked about last time and what was just kind of the talent cutoff, what you perceive to be like your top tier of rookies, like a 1A and 1B. Now that we have, you know, perceived opportunity finally factored in, where what does your top tier look like? Who are the guys you think have a chance to to be those those difference makers, those producers in year one? Yeah, my top tier right now is is bigger. I mean, last time my my one A tier was one guy, Corey Davis. He's still there at one for me, but I still really like uh, Christian McCaffrey and Leonard Fournette. I think that they ended up in spots. Um, where they'll they're at least going to see volume. I mean, McCaffrey's going to see it for in a sure. lot of different ways. I think Fournette is probably going to be more in terms of rush attempts, but either way, like these are guys who could step in and contribute. Um, and the two quarterbacks, Watson, Mahomes, I think those five guys kind of round out that top tier for me. Um, and then tier two is, is a little bit bigger, just because I, I think that you know, again, this overall class it's not super top heavy, but it is uh, fairly deep. So uh, my my tier two is definitely bigger. Yeah, Fournette to me is interesting. Like I I, I don't like the pick him going that early. Uh, it's just an overreaction based upon what happened with Ezekiel Elliott. I think we can all see that. Uh, but you're right. He's going to get carries. They drafted him that high to use him. Um, and the thing I really like about Fournette is that you know he's going to get all the goal line work. He's got the frame. He's got the, you know, the just the ability to, to crash those, those short yardage situations and, and get a bunch of touchdowns. And that could lead to some really big weeks. And that's, I mean, touchdowns drive fantasy football. That's what you're looking for. You mentioned McCaffrey and his volume. I'm a little worried because in addition to drafting him, they also drafted Curtis Samuel in Carolina. And I know you're big on Samuel as well. Those two guys have some overlapping skill sets and they don't completely jive with, you know, the Panther, Panthers offense as we've come to know it recently. Do you see potential, you know, competition there for slot use, for backfield use? How do you kind of resolve your love of those two players against each other? I mean, I still have both those guys in my top six. Like, I, I just think that Carolina is going to do a lot of things very differently this year. Like, I think they, I think that the, it's much more likely that they're going to make big changes to their offense than it is that they just took these guys, you know, with no plan to use them. Like, I think sometimes, like, teams do do that, like, maybe one player, but very rarely, I think, are, are teams going to take two guys with, skill sets like this where they're going to excel in space where they're fast you know and then not use them appropriately like i think that uh the speed and versatility that those guys add to it to a football team makes them so dynamic especially when you consider that cam newton is the quarterback um i think we should see if they, if they do this right like i think we should see a ton of zone read stuff a ton of like differentiating fakes where like maybe both those guys are in the backfield together in the gun Maybe Curtis Samuels in the slot, and he's motioning across the formation, and then they run zone read the other way. Like they have a lot of options, just from like a pure football standpoint, that they can now do with these guys. 
Um, and I do think that McCaffrey ends up being more of a running back and Samuel ends up being more of a receiver. But I kind of expect both of those guys to do both. Like I think we're even going to see some sets where Jonathan Stewart is the only running back and Curtis Samuel and McCaffrey are both in the slot. Like I, There's just so many options and so many ways that they can do this. I'm kind of thinking that Samuel is more of a team Percy Harvin, does the deep stuff that Ted Ginn used to do, does some of the like intermediate stuff that Jericho Cotri did when he was the team. And then McCaffrey, while he's probably not like a true workhorse right away, he sees kind of like that 120 to 150 uh, total in rush attempts and like 40 to 50 receptions. And they just use him all over the field. Yeah, I'm not completely sold on Cam Newton being the right quarterback for those guys. Now, if they're running zone read and stuff, he's the perfect quarterback for that. But when I think of these kind of quick, shifty guys in, in you know the the short spaces of the field, I don't know if I trust Newton to be the guy to to make those crisp timing throws. Uh, so we'll see how that works out. I'm I'm not you know saying that he can't do it. I'm just I want to see him do it uh, before I really want to buy into those guys. But you know we don't really have that luxury, so you kind of have to project a little bit and and maybe cross your fingers and hope that these guys pan out. And, and we know that they're both talented enough to do it. That's for sure. There are a lot of players we didn't touch on in the last episode, so I want to get a, a few quick you know evaluations or takes on. Uh, so, so we'll start with some running backs. Um, Wayne Galman going to the Giants uh, to compete with Paul Perkins. Uh, do you think he has a shot to contribute in year one? How do you like him as a prospect? Yeah, I wasn't high on him as a prospect. I think he's overrated uh, as an athlete. But he was a workhorse at Clemson. This is a guy that could come in and carry the mail for the Giants on early downs. Uh, you know, Like you said, like they didn't really have anybody pull away with that kind of role last year. Uh, but that offensive line is pretty bad, and this is a team that I expect to pass a lot in the red zone. So... I think even if Gallman kind of gets that workload, it, it may be worth less than it is on other teams. How about Alvin Kamara with the, the Saints trading up to draft him for that Darren Sproles type of role? Yeah, definitely love the expected pass-catching role. I don't know if he's quite Sproles or Reggie Bush. Like Athletically, he just doesn't really match up with those guys. But if they're going to use him there, I mean, he was an accomplished pass-catcher at Tennessee. The Saints, since uh, Sean Payton took over in 2006 are first in running back targets with over 400 more targets than the second-place uh, team. So That's wild. Yeah, tons of targets funneled there. Um, they own five of the seven highest target totals in that time, in that time frame. So, you know, I don't necessarily think he's going to do a lot as a runner. Uh, and I think, like, that lack of rushing ability may cause him to be overdrafted. But, I mean, 40, 40 receptions as a rookie I think is totally doable. Yeah, if he's getting drafted in the range of ADP where guys like Sproles and Jalen Richard are going, then I think that that's fair. I'm just talking redraft at this point. From a, a rookie and dynasty perspective, it's a little trickier, right? The the fit and the situation is great for PPR formats, but he's still a rookie. Like you said, the athletic profile isn't quite there. I I think he's going to be overvalued as well. I I, I don't know. Like they they signed Adrian Peterson, Mark Ingram's still there. The Saints have always been kind of a, a split backfield situation. So I, even though they have that many targets to go around to running backs, I don't think Kamara's going to get all of them. You know, I mean, some are going to go to Ingram. He'll probably be productive. I just don't know if you'll be, be able to project that kind of week to week. It might be similar to, uh, you know, a situation like the Patriots backfield where you kind of have to gauge the opponent and figure out, is this a, a quote unquote, a blunt week or a James White week or something like that. So. I'm looking forward to seeing how that plays out. How about Marlon Mack going to the Colts to, you know, play behind Frank Gore until Frank Gore turns 55? <laughs> well, I mean, I really like this fit. He's an explosive athlete with pass-catching experience uh, on playerprofiler.com. His top two comps are Todd Gurley and Melvin Gordon. Um, nice. So we're talking about, you know, potentially a really strong talent here. Uh, and I think right off the bat he could play that Ahmad Bradshaw role where – you know, Gore's going to do most of the early down work, but Mac's going to come in, you know, maybe do some stuff in the red zone, do a lot of stuff on third down. Uh, and Bradshaw, when he was with the Colts between 2015, uh, sorry, 2013 and 2015, uh, he averaged 12.8 PPR points per game. So uh, we're talking about a guy who could potentially be a top 24 running back as a rookie. Yeah, I mean, that's a good landing spot, too. I'm not super excited about the Colts' offensive line still, but the opportunity is definitely there. And Gore is eventually going to, you know, hit the age wall. I mean, he kind of has already from a like an explosiveness standpoint, 
And I, I kind of wonder if Indianapolis might be better served by kind of phasing him out and getting a younger player in there just to give, you know, that offense a little more uh, of a dynamic threat out of the backfield. Because Gore is, I mean, while he's really good at what he does and he's pretty much a legend in my eyes, I don't think that he really has that ability to, to be a, a game changer week in and week out. Um, what about Joe Williams going to Gore's old team, the Niners? He's crazy fast. I mean, 111 speed score. You know, Carlos Hyde is on the last year of his deal. Apparently, like, this was a, a guy that the GM uh, really didn't want at all, but Kyle Shanahan kind of banged the table for him mm-hmm. uh, during the draft, and they got him. So, I mean, he's definitely worth buying in the sense that we'll definitely see some of him this year. Uh, we know that those Kyle Shanahan running backs produce, and next year he could be the starter. So I'm probably buying, but... You know, pretty similar to a couple other guys we mentioned. Like, I could see him ending up as like a high-end second-round rookie pick with all the kind of hype. Like, I mean, once like Evan Silva's on him, and I feel like that's almost. Like, I feel like bump. you just yeah, the Silva bump is like <laughs> at least a half round, you know. So uh, I probably won't end up with as much of him as I wanted originally. Yeah. So just avoid all the guys Evan Silva likes, and he'll be fine. Just kidding. That that's probably a bad idea, actually. Um, <laughs> let's let's look at wide receivers. Uh, Zay Jones, Buffalo. It's a, a lot of opportunity there. Like, they, they lost some receivers. It looks like Jones is lined up to either be the number two or number three right away. From what I gathered pre-draft, a lot of people were anti-Zay Jones. Um, and I just, I don't know. Like, that still worries me. This is one of those things where you have to weigh the the opportunity versus the talent. Where are you at on him? Uh, I love Zay Jones. Like, <laughs> I mean, okay. he, cool. was, he was athletic at the Combine, which I think at least for me, quelled, like, some of the concerns about his production because his profile, like, pr- productivity-wise, like, he looks like he could be a compiler just because they threw him the ball so many times. But then you look at the athletic profile and you say, okay, like, maybe this guy is actually, like, pretty good and East Carolina just has no one else to throw to. So, you know, his efficiency numbers obviously suffer as a result of the volume, but the volume is there because he's talented. The Bills have no one. I mean, they, have, they literally right. have Sammy Watkins, Zay Jones, and Trash. So, uh, you know, I think that he's in a spot to come in and he could have 100 targets in year one. Uh, I mean, Sammy Watkins hasn't stayed healthy the last two years, so he could see some games as the lead guy. Uh, and on top of that, they have, the Bills have over 200 targets to replace from last season. Now, some of those are going to go to Watkins because he missed games, but they're still going to be, you know, at least like 130 to 150 you know, targets that are up for grabs, and I think Jones is going to grab the bulk of those. Yep. How about Juju Smith-Schuster? Um, I took him in our rookie mock that's going on right now, and while I think you could look at his situation and say, oh, that's too crowded a receiving core with Martavis Bryant coming back with Sammy Coates with Antonio Brown, I don't necessarily trust either of those, uh, you know, non-Brown players to, you know, really, really deliver on the hype that they've garnered for the past two or three years, do you see a situation where Smith-Schuster is productive early, or, or do you think he's more of a long-term prospect? I mean, I'm with you. Like, just for starters, like, I think this is a sneaky good spot for him. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. he's still went in the second round. Like, for Pittsburgh to take him that early, to me, at least says that they have some plans for him. I mean, he could be the wide receiver, too, on that team as early as this year, depending on, like, what happens with Martavis Bryant. I mean, listen, Bryant was awesome two years ago. But the guys that are over a year away for the, from football, like there's really no precedent for them coming back and being as good as they were before. Like, I mean, I think that this draft pick could signify that Bryant isn't in their future plans, or that they're at least were, you know, trying to hedge their bet a little bit. Yep. Um, so when you factor that in with the youth and collegiate production that that Smith Schuster has had, particularly in 2015, um, I really like this spot. Well, particularly in the red zone, too, he's just a, a touchdown monster, which is something that the Steelers have struggled with for a while. Like, once Martavis Bryant was gone, I mean, Ladarius Green was their best red zone threat, and he wasn't playing. So they, they have some some holes there that uh, Smith-Schuster could really fill, and I, I think that there's a lot of opportunity there. Yeah, I'm hesitant to say he's going to be uh, a big producer in year one, but I think long-term, he, he's got a lot of value if, if Roethlisberger can stay healthy and continue to you know, kind of be the quarterback that he's shown to be the past couple of years. You mentioned Taewon Taylor earlier going to Tennessee. Do you want to expand on him a little bit? What, what do you think about him uh, long-term? Yeah, he's just an awesome deep threat. I think he's going to complement 
the other options in this offense really well. Going to clear some things out for Corey Davis. I think, though, that he's going to end up having more real football value than fantasy value. I mean, this is still a team that doesn't throw the ball a ton. I think the volume probably comes up this year as they like expect Mariota to take a firmer grasp of the reins of the offense. But I just don't think that Taylor's targets are probably ever going to be in a spot where he is consistently fantasy viable. I think he does more just for Tennessee as a whole. So you could see him being more of like a best ball play rather than a redraft or dynasty play. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, let's bounce back to one of the, you know, the more hyped prospects coming into the draft, Mike Williams. I did not expect to see him go to the Chargers. H- how do you like that fit? It seems like the San Diego receiving core is becoming a little too crowded. Yeah, I mean, I hate it. <laughs> like, I think, okay. I mean, this is almost like the opposite for me of, like, the Pittsburgh situation, where, like, I think people, like, just think that because Williams is taken in the top 10, that he's going to come in and do all these things right away, but... I just don't really see it. I mean, Tyrell uh, Williams last year was awesome. Took a, you know, had that big breakout year. Uh, we know that Keenan Allen is talented. Hopefully, he can stay healthy. Um, so I, I kind of think Mike Williams is going to be playing like this Malcolm Floyd role, where they maybe just throw him a bunch of deep balls and expect him to win one on ones. I mean, that's supposedly that's like what he does well. I don't really buy it, but like that's that's what people like about Mike Williams is like the one on one ball skills. Like, I just don't think that that, even if he's good, I, I don't think that that's what you want at seven overall. And I don't think that that's what you want for your fantasy team. I mean, again, Keenan Allen, Tyrell Williams, Antonio Gates, Hunter Henry, Travis Benjamin, Melvin Gordon, like all these guys are going to get targets. And yeah, like they have the most draft capital tied up in Williams, but I'm just not sure that the, the pie has enough, you know, enough slices available for, for him to be productive. Well, right, and on top of that, it's like, what does Mike Williams do that their other players don't do? You know, I like the the just being a big body is something that they, like you said, they have two tight ends already. Keenan Allen is definitely like a quicker, probably better receiver at getting open, getting into space. We know that. Like, they, I just don't see where Mike Williams is a big upgrade for them, and that's what worries me. Because um, if he can't, you know, separate himself from the guys who are already there that just means that he might not see the field. Like this could just be another Laquan Treadwell situation. That really scares me. I'm, I don't like the fit either. Let's, let's talk about another running back. You were all about Aaron Jones last, last time we spoke, but how do you feel about Jamal Williams, his uh, competition for carries in that green Bay backfield? Uh, I mean, he's okay. Like, I, <laughs> the, the, like, like the, the collegiate production is good. Hey, what do you guys like better nurse or cheerleader? Oh, hi, Nicole. Hi, Frank. The nice doll you have there. Yeah, thanks. She's okay. Uh, you know, he was a workhorse in college, which is always something that I love. Um, but the athletic profile is just nowhere near as good as Aaron Jones is. Um, so, like, I still prefer Jones overall. Uh, I think if Williams ends up, like, tumbling into that range of obscurity, because I know like, a lot of people especially on Twitter, they're like me. Like, they're like, no, like, we really like Aaron Jones. We don't really like Jamal Williams. Um, if the price gap between those two guys ends up being super significant, I'll buy Williams just because I'll take a shot at carries in this offense. Uh, but, but you know, one-to-one, I would prefer Jones. Yeah, from the couple mocks I've done so far, the value gap is basically nothing. They're, they're being drafted right in the same area, it seems like, that kind of late second early to mid third round of rookie drafts. I, I think that, yeah, you just want whichever one goes second is, <laughs> is a bad way to put it, I guess. But uh, just cause that, that just means you don't know, but uh, I, I don't know. Aaron Jones definitely seems to profile better from an, uh, an analytic standpoint from the numbers I've seen. I know that uh, JJ Zacharyson tweeted out a comparison of the two that really painted Jones in a good light compared to Williams. I know that you were big on Jones as well. So he's, he's the guy I'd rather have if choosing between the two. Um, Let's kind of wrap up this section with, I, I'm hesitant to use the term sleeper, but give, give me one or two guys that you will be targeting in, in the third and fourth rounds of your rookie drafts. Uh, well, in the in the two QB mock you referenced earlier, I just took Kenny, Kenny Galladay uh, out of Northern Illinois in the third round. I mean, this is someone that I think I'm going to try to end up with in most of my drafts. He was extremely productive in college, uh, accounted for 39 and 43% of the receiving yards in that offense. For his two seasons there, he was a transfer, uh, so he's a little older. 
Um, but he went in the third round to Detroit, which for me is a pretty strong signal. Uh, and the Lions are one of the highest volume pass offenses, you know, on a year to year basis. Anquan Bolden is now gone. Uh, so Galladay is definitely a guy that I'm buying. Um, another guy that I really like who I think you can get, he, like, he might not even be drafted in your rookie drafts. Trent Taylor. Um, most people, when they think about Louisiana Tech, they talk about Carlos Henderson, his teammate. But Taylor actually outproduced him in college uh, basically every season. So, I mean, Taylor, to me at least, um, profiles as someone that's probably going under the radar. He's extremely agile, not that big. He's, you know, 5'8 in like the 180 range. Uh, so he profiles as like your prototypical slot guy. Um, but he went to the 49ers. There is basically no competition at receiver. I mean, they have a ton of guys that have really never done anything outside of Pierre Garçon. Uh, so he really just has to beat out Jeremy Curley for that role, and I think he could do that. Uh, and then we kind of like spin forward what could happen in San Fran. Um, this is a team that's going to be in the Kirk Cousins sweepstakes next offseason. And if they land him, we're talking about Trent Taylor being, you know, like the uh, Jameson Crowder uh, of the 2018 49ers. And that's something that I think would be uh, tremendous in terms of value. Yeah, you make a great point about San Francisco in general and how you have to kind of approach their team from a dynasty perspective. You have to look at the fact that Cal Shanahan just got there, John Lynch just got there. All the players who are in place probably are going to have no value in one to two years. That's just how it goes when a new regime comes in. Uh, so you have to look at what they're doing right now, the players they're signing, the players they're drafting, and you have to assume that those guys are the future. Um, you know, Bruce Ellington was a guy who got a lot of hype before he got injured last season. Bruce Ellington probably has no value. And that's sad for him. Like I, I wouldn't wish that upon anybody in their football career, but that's just kind of how the game and the business works. Um, now with that said, maybe he comes into camp or comes into to preseason and, and tears it up. And you know, the, the new brass in San Francisco, they see this guy and they're like, Oh, Bruce Ellington, who knew this guy's great. Um, but there's always that kind of recency bias, that, you know, attachment to the stuff that you brought in. And I, I think that we're going to see that play out in San Francisco, uh, other teams as well. You know, the, these, these bad teams, uh, with new, new situations, like there, there's, there's going to be a shakeup and you got to try to get ahead of the curve when, when you're projecting these guys. So, um, yeah, lo looking at the, the future of these franchises is important. Um, I want to check in with you quick on defense. Uh, I don't know if you're a, a big IDP guy or anything like that, but, are any of the defensive players that were drafted, uh, do they impact which team defenses you don't like or don't like for fantasy? Or are there any guys you're interested in for IDP, if that's your thing? I mean, I play in a couple of IDP leagues. I, I don't generally like to target uh, the rookies that are good. Like, I, like for, like for, like, I mean, it's hard to say now, but like, that's I feel like. It, yeah, well, no, so I should probably explain that. So, like, if they're, if they're like linebackers or DNs and they're, and they're talented and they play, that's good. But the guys that are kind of like just going to start at corner because they need a body, like corners, safeties, like those are guys that are going to get thrown at and they end up getting a lot of tackles, which typically have a lot of value in IDP. So, I mean, mm -hmm. I, I, for me, I need to see how like the depth charts are going to shake out before I start targeting, you know, any of these guys in particular. Uh, in terms of, of DST, um, like I, I'm always someone that's going to take my defense very, very late. Um, I think that in general, you want teams that are going to play a little higher in tempo. Um, but uh, like just in terms of like guys, teams that added good players, like Tampa Bay, um, you know, made their team overall stronger. Uh, Tennessee made their team overall stronger. Uh, you know, even a team like San Francisco, like they added a, t a ton of defensive help. Uh, and last year, the Falcons were a very high tempo team under Kyle Shanahan. So I, I think San Francisco, I targeted them last year because they had Chip Kelly and he played really fast. Yeah, I'm going to do the same thing probably this year. I mean, San Francisco is a 25th defense off the board right now in NFL 10s. Um, this is a team, again, like you don't want to necessarily, like after you get past like the first couple elite defenses, like you don't necessarily want to target a defense because they're good. You want to target a defense for a similar reason that we were targeting an offensive player, which is opportunity. So, I yep. mean, San Fran is going to, you know, give a lot of opportunity by virtue of the pace of their offense, by virtue of the, you know, general lack of ability. And they actually do have, like, some talented players now uh, that can rack up sacks, maybe get some picks and force fumbles, you know, stuff like that. So that, that's kind of where I'm going uh, post-draft. 
Yeah, up-tempo, especially if the offense is good, is always a nice combo because if, you know, your offense is driving the scoreboard and you're forcing the other team to throw a lot, put you into predictable game scripts, uh, that's when your, your pass rush can really get unleashed and you can start to gamble a little bit more. Um, I, I like that call. Uh, I'm not a big IDP guy. I, I think what you touched on is, is one of the reasons that I don't like the format a lot in, in that, you know, sometimes the the players who are not as good, like the, the worst defenders, are the ones that get targeted, so they have more opportunity to make those tackles, uh, to make interceptions, all that stuff. And, and I don't think that that really <laughs> makes a whole lot of sense, but um, I, I get it. It's, that's how the game works. That's fine. Uh, Cleveland adding Miles Garrett and Jabril Peppers is, is pretty nice. I think that's another situation where we, we know that Cleveland is generally doing the right stuff uh, under their new regime, so... Um, I think we can look forward to that defense getting better. Maybe not right away, but, um, you know, next season, maybe the year after that. I solicited for some uh, Twitter questions, didn't get any, so I'm just going to kind of spitball a few of my own random questions at you. Anthony, you cool with that? Yeah, it's cool with me. All right, I want to talk just kind of general dynasty. What, what's your, like, hierarchy for types of assets? You could do it positionally. Like, do you, do you believe that, you know, wide receiver is the most important, or do you believe that, like, an every-down running back is most important? Like, how do you break that down? Uh, I guess this is more of like a startup question. It's like, what what type of prospects or talents are you targeting first, and which what do you want to load up your team with? Is there a a positional breakdown, or how how do you break it down otherwise? Well, to start most of my drafts, like I love guys who have proven production at the wide receiver position. I mean, I mean, I like proven producers basically everywhere. Like that's a I would say like an overall theme for me is, like, I don't chase upside. Like, I just want the guys who are good now because they're typically good every year. Uh, Jacob Rickrode talks about this all the time. Uh, if you, like, go on his timeline, I'm sure that the, these charts are there. Like, he always posts these charts about the guys who are the top, you know, 12 producers, 24 producers, you know, 300-plus point guys. It's very typically the same group of players every year, or at least, like, most of those players are the same every year. So, like... Instead of chasing, you know, guys who haven't done it yet, uh, I'm someone that wants to take guys who I know have already done it. And sometimes you get those guys at a big discount. I mean, guys like Jeremy Macklin, who have been incredibly productive, are going late. Guys like Eric Decker. Um, you know, and you obviously have to, like, observe the circumstances around that. But I'm always taking guys who I know are proven producers. And I'll take my dart throws, my younger guys. Like, I'll do that later in the draft when those picks like already don't have a great probability of hitting yeah that context is super important like how do you like Macklin is a great example of a guy who is just kind of undervalued all the time but then you look at a guy like uh Allen Robinson or DeAndre Hopkins and they both have that one huge season but that's it like I guess you have to have a, a larger sample for sure and and that that definitely matters right oh yeah I mean the guys that have done it more times are the guys that you definitely can trust more <laughs> you know like yep. uh i mean and i like alan robinson and i like deandre hopkins as players but it's not like we're getting a huge discount on them right now relative to what they did last year like i would have thought that those were guys in like terms of like redraft i would have thought that they'd be like fourth round picks but they're still kind of going like in that second round range and i'm just not mm -hmm. really necessarily trying to buy there yeah, everybody's pricing in the regression already we did that with mike evans last year and it worked but it's not always going to work and yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I think that it's it's scary to pay for those guys in that tail end of that second round. Now, if they you know slide back around the turn into the third round, I think you you can definitely justify the pick there. But um, it, it's it's risky for sure. Like we haven't seen these guys put up those those big numbers for quite some time, um, and and I think we might be clinging a little bit to too much to the past with them. We've had a, a bit of a like an exodus of known quantities at the quarterback position. You know, Tony Romo, Jay Cutler retired. Um, I'm going to throw Ryan Fitzpatrick's name in here, even though he was hot garbage last year. But just in general, we're starting to see a little bit more turnover at the quarterback position than maybe we've seen in recent years from like a like a depth chart perspective. Like we, we know that, you know, quarterbacks are going to shuffle in and out of lineups with injuries and, and poor play. That's going to happen no matter what. But from like an entrenched starter position, things are getting shaken up a little bit more this season, this offseason. How does that affect how you approach the position? Or other positions, like d does that impact you know how you look at wide receivers? Yeah, I mean, I think anytime a quarterback is going to leave a franchise, that's going to leave a huge hole uh, 
you know, on that team. And you mentioned some guys that have already done it. We're going to see more. I mean, Ben Roethlisberger, uh, Eli Manning, Philip Rivers, that class is, is starting to get there. Um, you know, Brady, Breeze. So we're looking in situations now where maybe we don't like the long-term upside of a guy like a Michael Thomas or an Odell Beckham uh, as much as we did previously because, I mean, the guy throwing to Odell Beckham in two years could be Davis Webb, who stinks. You know, like it could be Ryan Nassib or someone like, probably more likely someone that we don't know yet. So I think that when we look at Odell Beckham's outlook in a couple of years, um, any of the Saints guys, particularly Michael Thomas, like those outlooks probably aren't as good as we once thought from a long-term perspective. And, you know, first of all, I think that that's why we should always be trying to win now because these situations can change drastically. But also, like, get out when you can on some of these guys. I mean, I wouldn't be trying to sell on Odo Beckham right now because I think he's still going to smash for the next, like, year or two. But I would certainly start thinking about moving some of these guys when uh, the value is high. And on, like, the flip side of that, I'm, I'm team old guys. Like, I love buying older quarterbacks because you're going to get them for a song, you know, relative to what their, you know, current season production is going to be. Like, those guys like Brady, those guys like Breeze. Um, you know, those guys are going to be top five quarterbacks until they die. So I, I will definitely take them. And, you know, there's retirement risk there. They could retire after this year, after next year. But I'm going to take that risk if it's going to get me, you know, to the championship. Yeah, I like that. Um just a couple more quick questions. Thoughts on Bridgewater? Uh, you know, we're seeing reports that he's starting to work out. Uh, he's on his way back. We, we can pretty safely assume he's not going to play right away, at least, in 2017. I think that Sam Bradford's pretty well established as the starter to, to begin the year there for Minnesota. But what are you doing with Bridgewater in Dynasty? Do you care about him at all, or is he just waiver fodder to you? Yeah, I mean, I actually own him in a two-quarterback league, and I think I'm going to cut him after the, you know, before this season starts. Like, I just, it's really hard for me to envision a scenario where he's a starter again, um, at least anytime soon. Like, I, that injury that he had, and I feel so bad for him because I was a huge Teddy fan, but they traded a first pick, like, instantaneously for Sam Bradford. Like, that told you that there was a problem. Um, they didn't pick up his option. Again, like, that tells you that that's a problem. Like, I just don't think that, he's certainly not going to start again for the Vikings, I don't think. And then once you get into, like, free agency, like, we're talking about probably being picked up as, like, a spot starter somewhere or something. Like, I just – it's sad, but I just think that the Bridgewater thing is kind of done. So do you think that there's some opportunity for Bradford to kind of step up and maybe have a later or a mid-career renaissance kind of like Alex Smith did with the Chiefs? Uh, I've, I've seen Bradford keep sliding and sliding in MFL, MFL 10s, and I'm drafting him a lot. Just because he's a warm body, um, that team's getting better. Like they're adding pieces. I I don't hate him as a two QB play or you know a late round quarterback play for best ball. What do you think about Bradford long term? Uh, I mean, I, I'm definitely on on like the buying train because I think you get like the crappy player discount. Like he's yeah. he's going to go in the range where people are going to take guys who aren't going to start like, ahead of him. Like, I, I could see him being valued less than guys like, you know, Brett Hundley, Mike Lennon, Jared Goff, like, guys who, like, may never actually ever be anything. Um, at least we know Bradford's starting now and, and does have weapons. He has Diggs, he has Thielen. You know, they have a couple other nice pieces that have added Bucky Hodges, who I kind of like. Like, this is a team that probably is never going to be, like, a total offensive powerhouse, but, I mean, Bradford is probably going to always produce above his ADP. Yeah, yeah, that's and that's what reminds me of Alex Smith. Um, one more question here, just uh, another you know kind of bad quarterback. I actually he, he's he's bad, but it's more of a, a situation that's bad. Colin Kaepernick, what's his value like right now? Is he ownable? Well, he just got traded. Actually, I think uh, in, in one of the leagues I'm in, he just got traded for like a fourth round pick. So I, I guess that's his value right now. Um, okay, I'm not necessarily buying. Like again, like I think that if he was going to be a starter somewhere, someone probably would have already picked him up. Uh, you did yep. mention like the, the quarterback turnover, but I just have a feeling that those opportunities are going to start going to you know, some younger players who maybe don't bring some distractions uh, to the team. Yeah, and on top of the distractions, just we know he isn't that good, and, he, and he's not going to be a long-term solution for anybody, and that's where, you know, in Dynasty, I kind of draw the line. It's like, if, if this guy has opportunity to start once or twice in a season, that's one thing. 
but I want to pick that player up off the waiver wire. I don't want to roster that guy and hold him and wait, wait, wait for that opportunity to come. And you're, and you're right. The fact that nobody signed him yet kind of proves that he, the, the interest just isn't there around the league. So I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of bummed because I, I love a Russian quarterback in fantasy, but, uh, and, and I do think that he's gotten a bit of a, a bad rap for all the, you know, distraction quote unquote stuff that, that he brings to the table. But, yeah, in fantasy, I, th- I think Kaepernick's time is over as well. It's 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 no fun. Um, that's all I got, man. Anything else you want to talk about before we wrap this thing up? No, I mean I'm just hyped that I mean the the season the the season is basically already here. Like once the draft happens, I feel like then leagues start to like kind of wake up out of hibernation and it's go time. So I'm really happy. Yeah, you and me both. I'm I'm pumped up. Can't wait for the preseason to get here and then the regular season after that. We've we've got a a lot of analysis yet to do. Um, and if you want to check that stuff out from, from Anthony, uh, you can find his work at two QBs. I discussed this earlier. Uh, he's also on Rotoviz, number fire fantasy insiders. Um, anywhere else, uh, you want to plug Anthony or any work that you've been doing recently? No, I mean, just keep checking out all the great work. I mean, Rotoviz did a ton of really nice work, partnered with two QBs to get out uh, a ton of post draft profiles. Uh, we did, I want to say 57 different players that were drafted. Um, and they all play offense. So, I mean, that's a really high percent of the guys, basically all the key guys uh, that were drafted. We've written an article about and a bunch of the, you know, kind of later guys that we like. So definitely check those out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can find Anthony on Twitter at Amixta. You can find me on Twitter at Greg Sauce. Uh, you can follow the site at 2QBs. That's T-W-O-Q-B-S. Email to 2QBs at gmail.com, spelled the same way. Uh, please rate and review the podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, Podbean, wherever else, uh, we're all over the place. Uh, I can never figure out how to get SoundCloud to work. Uh, I think you have to have to upload to them, but um, that's that's my own my own problem. I'll deal with that someday. Uh, Anthony, thank you very much for joining me. I uh, appreciate your time very much, and listeners, thank you for for hanging out with us. We'll catch you next time on the Two QB Experience. Adios. Yeah.